think I know enough C++. Well, or maybe I know enough to, to stay away. I'm not sure. I mean, I, I don't know enough. So, uh, you know, C++ is the language you're perennially uh, feel like you don't know what you're doing and you're just fighting with the compiler. So. Welcome to another episode of ArrayCast. I'm your host, Connor, and today with us we have two panelists, Bob and Adam, and another guest. We'll do short introductions. We'll go with Bob first and then Adam, and then we'll hop straight into our interview with our guest today. My name is Bob Terrio, and I am a J enthusiast, and I am not a professional programmer, as I've said many times. I'm just coming up on 20 years of doing J, which has been a lot of fun. And uh, I really love doing array programming languages, and I really love learning about some of the other array programming languages, and that's why I'm looking forward to today's episode. I'm Adam Brodzewski. I've been doing APL for a long time. I've been doing so professionally for seven, eight years. Also very interested in other array languages and what they can learn and borrow from each other. So looking forward to today's episode hearing about things and corners I haven't heard about before. And as mentioned, I'm your host, Connor Hoekstra. Uh, as you know, probably I am not a array programmer. I am just an array enthusiast. I develop in C++, but I'm a huge APL fan and J fan, and more recently a, B, uh, a BQN fan. I always want to say bacon, but that's not, that's not how you pronounce it um, after Marshall's uh, episode. And uh, yeah, I guess a little fun note is that APL and J both have the quadratic scan, this is like jumping into the details, but it's just got me excited. And, and BQN doesn't. Um, so I was on APL Orchard the other day and trying to assess whether now BQN is my favorite language because they don't have that little um, that little tidbit. And maybe we can get uh, some feedback from the K side on which way they fall. Do they have the the quadratic scan? If, I think I know the answer, but we'll get we'll get Attila to to respond there. So. Um, yeah, we'll hop, we'll hop straight into the interview and, uh, it, later on we can circle back if, if Adam or Bob have thoughts on the, the scan thing. Um, but today our, our guest, I'm hopefully going to pronounce his last name correctly, but if not, he will, uh, immediately, uh, correct me, uh, is Attila Vrabitz and Attila has been, um, working with the array languages dating all the way back to K3, I believe, and, uh, more recently with K4 and Q. Uh, he founded Quantum KDB, which was later on uh, purchased by First Derivatives, which is the same company that purchased KX and uh, has been working at Marshall Wallace for the past six plus years um, and is considered by a lot of folks as an authority on uh, the K and Q language. So we will uh, start off with the same question that we typically start off with our guests, which is um, if you wanted to uh, feel free to walk us through your sort of path to the array languages going far as far back as you'd like and um, tell us, you know, how you got to, you know, array languages and where you are now. Thank you very much um, for the introduction. Um, so I actually do the chemistry at university. Um, and I did physical chemistry, so I was, um, you know, kind of chemistry was my one of my passions, and, and computing was the other. And I was doing uh, computational chemistry or computational physics. And and while I was doing my PhD, I kind of um, kind of felt like that I have to broaden my horizons and 
have to learn. I was doing it in um, in C, and I was, you know, looking at all kind of other technologies, languages out there, and I, you know, I mean, the weirder, the better they are, I guess. Um, so, you know, I did a bit of Lisp, <laughs> like a bit of OCaml, and then I think, I don't remember, to be honest, how I came across APL. And, and that was like, all right, this is, is you know, absolutely different. Um, and then, yeah, I played with it a little bit, but it wasn't so easy to, you know, get like a, <clears throat> a good quality, you know, APL environment. So I kind of moved on to J, which, you know, solved that problem. Um, and I tried to learn a language and found it quite interesting, but then somehow I came across the, the Wikipedia page for the array languages, which also mentioned K, and I was like, all right, that's this one. And um, and I read the manual, and I, I couldn't understand the word of it. I was like, I don't know what they're talking about. Um, <laughs> and it was also like one of those, it's like, Things where, I mean, the things which captured my attention is that, like, having a language where you don't have a separate primitive for not equal, like, you know, just make it out of two. And I was just like, that's, that's interesting. And, and and it kind of kept bugging me. So I kept coming back to, you know, trying to understand what's going on. Um, and, yeah, this was back early 2000s. Um, so you could have an evaluation version of K3, which I believe was like limited to like a hundred megabytes or something. Um, but it was enough to to play with. Um, and I kind of been doing Project Euler and and stuff like that to to learn the language. Um, and it was different from anything I've ever seen before. And and somehow it. It felt like that. Oh, this is this is this is much more fun than you know, like Python or or C plus plus or anything anything like that before. Um, so then um, I heard about K four. Just you know, kind of. I think it was just coming out, or it was around the horizon. And I contacted KX, who were um, graciously granting me um, a license to. You know, like because I was in academia, and I you know started playing with it, and then um, when I was just about finishing my PhD, I realized that um, uh, a there is that not that many research, I mean, uh, positions in, in Hungary, in, you know, for for uh, physical chemistry to begin with. Um, and I have to you know, try to see what I can do. So I was looking at, um, uh, you know, jobs and, and like I was thinking about my career. And um, I happened to bring this topic up with uh, Stephen Apter, who I was, you know, just talking with because of K and stuff like that. And he he said that like, oh, I think you know enough K that you should be able to you know, get a job with K. And it's not something I even considered. I was like really just doing this on the side. And then basically Arthur 
introduced me to basically to FD and then FD said, all right, let's have a phone interview. And then I was, you know, on a plane in a week, within a week's time to, to join first derivative. And then um, next week I was literally sitting in, in an investment bank because KDB was just really booming at the time and everybody was just trying to, um, you know, hire. And I'm just like, you know, it was really like uh, a big push when KDB Plus came out and, and this 32-bit limit got removed and stuff like that. Um, so I basically kind of got thrown into the deep water and I guess learned a lot in the job um, since basically 2006. Um, and I had the luck with you know, to work with quite a few um, uh, good colleagues, which was very helpful. And maybe what was also different at the time is the list box was extremely active. And I felt like that I learned the most from there by people posting questions, me trying to answer them, and then others, you know, like improving what I had and then me trying to understand why that's better. And so on. Um, so basically, ever since I've been working in the finance sector um, in London, and been working with KDB ever since, um, you know, building uh, analytics, applications, databases, whatever, whatever you do with KDB. That's, that's quite, quite long-winded, but um, hopefully it gives you like a good overview of where I'm coming from. So I, it sounds like you went straight from uh, finishing your dissertation and your PhD work into the finance slash K world um, to first derivatives. And then at some point, I guess you stepped away from first derivatives. And then did you end up back at first derivatives when they purchased your company? Or No, I, I mean, I left reasonably early on. Um, I think I left, I left after a year and a half. Um, but uh, yeah, when, when my company got purchased, you know, to be precise, at that point in time, I wasn't a shareholder in that company anymore because I stepped back to um, work on a, a different project. So I was not involved with the negotiation or the sale or anything like that. I was just a co-founder. It was um, my co-founder who kind of, you know, after the initial, like, you know, Half a year, he kind of kept going with the company, and I, I, I went to work on a small project on the side, which didn't turn out to be like the best idea of my life, but okay. It is. Okay, so it sounds like I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure how if the, yeah, you're the first that has experience with all APL, like you know, practical, having written all three to a certain extent. Uh, so how long did you play around with APL and J before you ended up stumbling onto the Wikipedia page and, and starting to to play with K? I mean, I I think, you know, I really, I wouldn't say that I, I know APL or J to any reasonable extent. I mean, I think I know enough that I could you know, tell you why I prefer K, um, but but I, I, I wouldn't be able, I wouldn't be able to write the, APL or J, uh, you know, fluently, that's for sure. Or even read. So I think it was only like, you know, maybe a couple of weeks or something. 
Yeah, you've you've predicted the question I was going to ask next, which was, you know, what is it that spoke to you? Um, uh, you know, wh- why did K speak to you over APL and J? Like, what were the the differences that led you to really start exploring that one with the Euler problems? And I mean, I guess the with APL, it's, you know, maybe I didn't, you know, come across the right back pages or whatever. But APL at the time, it really felt like that. You know, um. How to say this? Um, like it was kind of, you know, not developing, or it was kind of, um, you know, stuck, or or it's uh, like there was really not that many vendors, and the vendors who were available, they were like there were no like um, there was no good pre-implementation, or maybe I didn't look hard enough. Um, and I did like, you know, the symbols, but then. What everyone else comes through is like, you know, trying to type the symbols and all that stuff that, that set me back a little bit. Um, but I think the biggest, you know, difference for me between kind of K and APL and J is for me, kind of APL and J felt more like focusing on math, whereas K felt more focusing on computing. Like it was. Kind of K felt like it was more taking, um, how to say, taking shortcuts or taking like decisions which are maybe less pretty in a mathematical sense, but they are more pragmatic in terms of how computers work and like, you know, like yeah, multi-dimensional matrices are really really nice, but it turns out that you know you can get away with not needing them to some extent. And just like emulating them, and kind of felt like that the minimalism of K was like somehow like made more sense to me than having a lot more stuff built in. So this leads, this is perfectly ties in then back to the uh, the quadratic versus linear scan. So uh, do you are you able to? I'm, I'm guessing you know um, are able to speak to whether K do they fall into the quadratic scan so that you can have ulti- absolutely not yeah so <laughs> so there we go so k both k and bqn are in the in my opinion correct camp although i'll let adam and bob weigh in on what what they think is correct and i assume attila you are in the thinking that you know from a computing standpoint making what could be linear a linear algorithm quadratic just so that you get I think the reason is that you want, um, what is it, alternating sums and continued fractions, which is like a cute mathematical trick, yeah. but uh, I have no idea what that's useful for, and I definitely don't want, uh, one, my, my scan to be quadratic in time complexity, and two, there are certain algorithms, um, specifically Cadane's algorithm, that I tweeted about it, but you have to put an asterisk next to it because in APL, it doesn't really work that way. Uh, you need a APL implementation with a linear scan, so... Um, in that regard, K, I put K ahead of <laughs> APL and J, although I don't know much K. Um, I guess Adam and Bob, do you want to weigh in? Slash also, too, I've been asking all the questions, so I should <laughs> I should let you two ask any um, if you have them. Well, I mean, we can definitely speak about the scan. And yes, I think you're right that it's it's comes from some mathematical properties originally. Uh, Ken Iverson was... <laughs> maybe a pioneer in computer science, but he was, I think, primarily a mathematician. And 
it didn't it doesn't seem to me from what i've I read and heard from him that he was very concerned about what the what the cost the runtime cost would be of various algorithms what he was concerned about was the actual design of the language the the main point was that this notation would be a tool of thought this is how you think about it and with the convention that functions have long write scope the right associative which is true for uh, for k and for bqn as well then if you want to apply reductions over the prefixes of a list it, it things just come out like that if you were if you are to if you take prefixes and you stick in apl functions in between the elements of those of each prefix so then each one of them needs to be evaluated from the rear to what's the front and there is no way other than for very special cases where you can take some computational algorithmic shortcuts there is no way to to use the previous result to compute the next result because because the next the next computation starts off with an, a different initial element that you didn't have available at the previous computation Every one of them is unique. It's different, and so yes, it comes out that you have to do you have to do first do zero computations, then one, then two, then three, and so on. And it becomes up. It's it's O n squared that you end up with, uh, unless you can take some shortcuts like for for a a running sum you can do that for a running difference if you're really clever you can do that and certain other things you can do that. So it's not it's not just a progress to the next element and then apply a function one more time to the previous result you had. It's not the same thing. Um, that said, it's I don't think I ever use uh, alternating sum really, other than for as you say, cute mathematical demonstrations or alternating product. I think if I understood it right from when we had Henry Rich here, the the new fold primitives in in J actually do allow you to choose which direction you want. So you do have everything available. I, after that episode, I played around with them a bit. The syntax is, should we say, cumbersome in my opinion, but uh, yeah, it seems they can do what you want them to do. But it, of course, increase the, increases the vocabulary and K is looking for minimalism. And with J, um, a lot of times, well, when, when you're learning, I'm not sure whether this applies to scan as well, but for reduction, um, it's mentioned over and over again, don't assume the order that you're going to be doing things in. So um, I'm not in the position where I'm doing the, um, figuring out the algorithms that are going to actually making the primitives work, but it may be that there may be opportunities in the future if you take out, it will break some people who've made the assumption, but the, we're being told over and over again, don't make that assumption. So that might be a direction forward that, that Jay ends up taking, but Henry's definitely the one to talk to about that. I noticed that in the in the ADSP podcast that, that Connor is running, and uh, he spoke about this, about two different types of reduce, or you possibly could call one reduce and one fold. Uh, one where you are allowed to make the assumption about the order that things is being done in, and one where you're not allowed to make the assumption. Um, and it makes a huge difference, of course, in in computation that can be done, the optimization, parallelization that can be done. If everything is sequential, then yeah, of course you cannot parallelize, but they have some nice properties. It sounded to me like they, Bryce and Connor thought that both would be nice to have. Yeah, there's, I think it's episode 25, we call it the loss reduction, where we have two different ones, 
accumulate and reduce and accumulate is the least constrained and therefore can't be paralyzed reduce is the most constrained so can be paralyzed but then it requires both associativity and commutativity and i believe if i recall correctly that we wanted one that was non-associative but still commutative or vice versa um so there's there's like a missing algorithm in between that could still be parallelized um but would allow a new category of algorithms that require sort of the left to right um processing to 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 work and currently the workaround that people do for that is they just they use a parallel scan which has that property um and then they just take the last element but that's inefficient because scans um generate more output than you need at the end of the day well i just wanted to mention an interesting thing in in dialogues implementation of apl of course we have this problem as well and as has been mentioned before in this podcast uh, APL and APL-like languages are often used in the financial sector. And some of those people, they get rather upset if from one day to another, the amount people have in their bank accounts changes because you change the algorithm. Uh, now, the merit of storing people's values as float, uh, the floats uh, could be questioned, but the fact of the matter is that money amounts are being stored as floats and uh, that means imprecisions and that means the order in which you you sum makes a difference and so dialogue makes a guarantee uh, that we don't change the exact result of in a plus reduction and and that means we can't parallelize we can't speed things up every the we we need to preserve the floating point errors that have always been there so people's amounts in their bank accounts don't jump around but there's a trick around it especially when doing tested programming and so you see this a lot in in j um summation is the same thing as evaluation in base one might want to take a couple of seconds to to let that sink in so by allowing place values right you normally we look at a number in base 10 we say oh, these are the ones these are the tens these are the hundreds but in unary there are only ones so these are the ones and these are the ones and these are the ones and these are the ones normally we do not allow in a number any digits that are equal to or or higher than the base so you can have a number like 23 both the two and the three are less than 10 the base that we run you cannot have a digit that's above 10. We don't even have that kind of digit. Although you could, like in hexadecimal conventionals, use letters for that. You could potentially write something like that. What would happen is you could have potentially more than nine ones and more than nine tens. And it all just works out. You can all just add this up. So it comes out that being that every place value in unary is are the ones, that means if you evaluate any any list of digits in base one, is is the same thing as summing them. So let's say it says two, three in base one. So the three is the least significant. Those are the ones. And the two is the second least significant. Those are also the ones. So it's, so it's uh, three times one plus two times one times one and so on. Effectively, all the times one and times one fall away and it just becomes three plus two, which is five. So evaluation in base one is the same thing as summation. You're counting sticks. You're counting sticks. And and this means that you can substitute, whenever you have summation, you can substitute with 
evaluation in base one. And it might look ridiculous to the reader, but we do not make any guarantees as to the order and precision of evaluation in base one, which means we can implement all manner of uh, optimizations in that algorithm that cannot be implemented in summation because we need to preserve, we need to have stability in our amounts. So if you want absolute speed in summation and you don't care so much about the precision or, or the stability in the result, then you can use base one evaluation. So in a sense, in that one case, we do allow you to choose which one do you want? Do you want to make the assumptions? Do you want, don't want to make the assumptions? So there are, there are tricks that could be done like that. I just thought it's an interesting thing to, to note. You can see this in code here and there. K has the same thing that, you know, you're, <clears throat> you're running a version which uses the SSC, AVX, whatever special instruction, and, and you know, it uh, parallelizes the code uh, at the single level, then you will get different results. Whereas you have a build which doesn't have those enabled them, there are no guarantees in KDB. So absolute speed. For better or worse. So what do the economists say about that? That means if you do the exact same computation, same code on a different computer, you can get a different result. Not different computer, even the same computer, but you can have a build which uses these instructions and another one which doesn't. And this has come up because, you know, for a while the 32-bit version was free, and the 32-bit version didn't have all these SSC instructions and stuff like that. So if you ran something with that, you might get different results than what you run with like kind of the production 64-bit version. And they just said, that's it. 32-bit is unsupported. Wow. It sort of shows you what the kind of constraints that you're playing with when you start designing languages. I mean, um, you get to the point where you can do it one way and get accuracy. Or it's almost, I guess it's almost like quantum. You know, the, you, can, you can measure your velocity or you can measure your position, but at the same time, you're, you're going to get different things. Yeah, you can't have both. So can you talk a bit more, jumping back to sort of what, where we left off uh, on the case stories, you know, K focuses more on computing, and I think I'm not sh sure if this is definitely true, but from what I've heard, that K is you know lightning fast, um, and probably you'd say that K is faster than J um, and APL. Um, can you speak to a bit more about that? Like, you know, I assume it's not just the scan. Um, you know, what are the what is it about K that makes it more you know friendly for computing versus for mathematics? I mean, I just, you know, definitely found that um, having less primitive is, you know, how to say that's more appealing to me because I have to learn less. Um, but then, of course, there's like lots of overload, so it's a bit of a bit of a false dichotomy. Um, I think other things which made sense to me is, um, you know. Um, moving away from having functions only up to two arguments. I mean, I can, again, see the appeal of it that, like, you know, people have two eyes and two hands and all that, and two-dimensional drawings are easy to understand, but uh, still, like, they, they come up all the time that, you know, you would have three or four or five, and if you have to kind of 
put that together from um, functions which only take two, then that would be quite tedious. Um, then I also quite like the implicit argument for, for lambdas. That seemed like a very elegant solution to something where you would go tacit in, in J. And I always, I mean, I tried to get my head around, you know, all this uh, tacit stuff, and I, I kind of see the appeal, but it's just, that was just, that was beyond me. I mean, it felt like that it's, it's not worth it. Like the, the readability suffers so much at, at my level that I would rather just be explicit at that point. Um, can you expand on that a bit? Tell us about what is this implicit arguments you said? Was that what you called it? So, so yeah. So basically, like, you know, if, uh, if you have a, a lambda, then up to three arguments, x, y, and z, you know, if you mention them, then your function takes that many arguments without declaring that, oh, this is a function which takes, you know, a, b, and c. If you just use, let's say, y, then it will assume that you will take x and y. If you mention z, then it will assume that, you know, you also take x, y, and z. And I found that, you know, quite, quite neat and, you know, short and, uh, and painful, painless, you know, compared to kind of other stuff. Um, I think the fact that, and this is an actually maybe an interesting question, that the fact that um, you know you can declare different data types in, in K um, can be an advantage, especially like you know when you work with like any anyone else. So if you are all in yourself, sure, but if you have to you know deal with any other systems, then. It's nice to say that while well, I'm expecting a 32-bit integer and, you know, and oh, if it's a 32-bit integer, I want to deal with it in a diff different way. Um, but interestingly, it seems like that Arthur and Shucks is kind of move, moving back towards the, um, the APR model a little bit that um, you don't even have a differentiation between Boolean and integers. The only difference it seems to make is integers and floats. Um, and I'm not sure if I can I can see that's good for applications, but not sure about databases if that makes sense. So have you followed um, the evolution past K4 to I believe K5, six, seven, they skipped eight and then went to K9, which is now uh, rebranded as Shakti. Have you followed that sort of evolution while having worked at your various places since starting with K3? Yeah, I, I, I try to, you know, like uh, be involved and just try to see what Arthur is thinking and play with these different uh, rewrites a little bit. And have you um have you noticed any, because uh, you mentioned Shakti, uh, and yet I believe you're still working with K4 slash Q, um, do you think like the future uh, is going to be, you know, K and K4 and Q will still be sort of the dominant K dialect or I know, I know Arthur doesn't like them being called dialects. He considers them sort of Lisp variants that they're all different languages because they're written from scratch. Um, 
but uh or you know is shakti the future or are are you able is it too early to tell i mean i think it's very early to tell obviously it's um, i mean it's even more complicated than like you know the python 2 versus 3 story um because there's really like uh, no I mean, we had the same problem, or, or you know, customers had the same problem between versions three and four, and um, and there were like you know big investment banks who, who basically like working on migrating their K3 code base to K4, and they collapsed, you know, during the financial crisis before they could. Um, so, as to this question, I think it's you know it's. it's Obviously, FD slash KX, you know, uh, is very mature and it's been used, you know, at a lot of different places. Um, but Shakti has archers, so I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know which which uh, which horse to bet on. I think it's. I'm, I I I I would be hoping that um, any innovation on either side is just you know just helping everyone out. Kind of helps us as a community to, you know, like have different, maybe slightly different solutions to slightly different domains, or with different trade-offs, and then just all in all, like you know, raises our profile altogether. Hopefully, Attila, if you were like you, you started out with with K four and sort of fell into that that arena, and then before you knew it, you were working uh, in the language. If somebody was starting today, what would you say they should start off with? Is there, would you say, go for Shakti because it's the new thing? Or would you say there's another version of K that you think is actually more stable, easier to learn, sort of feels like a, a language that would be of more interest to somebody starting out? It depends on what the goal is. I guess if they ever, if they want to, you know, have a, a job that's quite different from somebody doing it just for the sake of curiosity on a, like a month time span or something. Um, I think if, yeah, definitely, I think if you, one is, you know, concerned about finding a job, then I think it's definitely still Q and KDB at the moment. Um, uh, if, you, if you're curious, I think... Um, I to say, I think it probably would be still K4 in the sense that there's a lot more material. Like the problem with Shakti is that it's still like, you know, the documentation is literally like, you know, an 80 by 25 character screen and then good luck to figure it out if you don't already know enough. So I, I think that that would be almost impossible for anyone to come in freshly and, and try to try to learn that. Um, of course, the somewhat unfortunate thing is that with KDB, that there's a lot of focus on Q, or most of the material is about Q, not K, which is, it is again what it is. I mean, I would personally prefer K, but that's not what the consensus is, so everybody writes Q. But is K, that K that's goes together with KDB plus, is it even officially supported? 
Okay, does that have documentation? I mean, it's literally just a slightly different syntax. I mean, Q is just slightly different syntax above K. So in the sense, or to the extent of Q being documented, K is documented. So it's like plus is the same thing in both. So you could, it sounds like you could very easily write um, a Q to K4, I don't want to say transpiler, but just like translator that um, replaces all of the keywords in Q with the equivalent. Yeah, yeah, that's trivial. I mean, yeah, that's... Interesting. So does that mean that certain uh, banks that, or banks or companies, et cetera, that prefer sort of your style of um, preferring K4 to Q? I, act... I don't... I doesn't exist. I, I, I don't think I've seen one. Well, that prefers that... I don't think anyone writes... Yeah. That prefers to write in K? So all of, every all clients write in Q then, basically? Yeah. yeah. I think you have the choice between K and Q, and everyone seems to write Q because you have a boss. But do they even know that K exists? It's barely mentioned. I mean, they usually... They, they they usually just joke about it, like, you know, just, uh, <laughs> how to say the urban legend or whatever. It's like, you know, just, just nobody actually cares. They just joke about it, and then they still find Q, you know, still alien if you're coming from from Python or or, or SQL, but they're not as alien as K. Interesting. So it it sounds like the the clients that are using this. Um... Well, I guess you could make the argument that Q is more expressive because uh, it uses readable keywords. Um, but a lot of array programmers talk about the expressivity of um, J and APL, and I think that would extend to K. So they're using the wordified K, a.k.a. Q, but then they actually don't care too much versus K, like the K symbols versus the Q words, which means that they're really just using it for the performance and and the database is that um i mean i think there's a bit of that but i think it's also you do lose some of the terseness but compared to a lot of other stuff out there conceptually or at the token level you are still very terse like you know even in q like some words are longer but but it's i think it still enables you to get whatever i don't know Maybe eighty percent or seventy percent of what K might give you, or you know, it's just like a made-up number. But I, I, it, I think it um, takes you quite along the way towards array languages that I wouldn't discount it on that kind of note or from that point of view. Right. I think I think most of the keywords in Q are three or four letters. Um, even like I believe some of the algorithms that have classic names like transpose uh Arthur renamed to like a four letter word so transpose and q if i'm if i'm not mistaken is flip um and versus reciprocal nobody uses reciprocal yeah i was i was just about to ask what's the what's the longest keyword in q is it reciprocal <laughs> why would you not just write one divided by then that's that's two characters yeah that's what we, i think that's that's what people do but even in q even has things like sum where you could just write plus slash why would you write sum if you can write plus slash i mean i think the argument goes that if you 
if you have very, very casual users, they can read some, or you have like someone, you know, who's used to Excel, they can read some, they wouldn't know what plus over is. Um, and I guess the other argument in K versus Q is that if you if you want to use plus over in, in Q, then you have to put brackets somewhere or, or parentheses. So you would either put plus over in parentheses itself, or you would put the argument in brackets. And and at that point, that you know that basically plus over and two parentheses or brackets, that's kind of four tokens, and some is actually just you know three letters. Ah, so you can't just use K syntax inside the Q code like that. You can, but you have to like, you kind of have to escape back to K, which usually involves some extra parentheses, and that makes it like not as nice as you know just vanilla K. So does that does that also mean you can't use just a dash, a minus to negate values without adding a parenthesis? Uh, no, you can because that's. I'm, I was talking more about um, oh. like adverbs and um, stuff like that. But uh, no, for negate you can. So it's just nag and then no parenthesis. That's fine. So it sounds to me like going back to the original question, the the language that makes the most sense if you're just interested. Start with Q because you're probably going to get a lot of the concepts. Yeah, uh, I think so. And I think also you get, I mean, most of the database stuff is, is kind of, you can view it as on the top of Q, but it's a bit of a, not technically true, but kind of true. Are there any ways that Q would lead you astray? Oh, I'm sure. I mean, <laughs> there's, there's plenty of, um, plenty of quirks and um, things you wouldn't expect, too much overloading. I mean, the too much overloading is always a problem. Like, uh, I mean, the right to left, I guess most of us wouldn't complain about that. That seems to be getting uh, a lot of people, right to left, um, missing semicolons, stuff like that. I think it's also like a bit like, you know, like a bit like JavaScript, that it's a bit too easy to make something too dynamic, especially when you are building um, or like a system where you can have one process sending something to another one very easily, but this gets, gets abused and then you end up with like spaghetti, but like kind of more at the architectural level rather than... And and that's kind of the, you know, the curse of having a pragmatic language. You can do things and as a result, you can do things. <laughs> Well, I mean, I don't think there's any way to get around that. Any sufficiently powerful programming language will allow you to write crazy code. I mean, I, mean, I, I, I can't see how one could possibly say that Q allows you to write nasty code in a way that K doesn't. No, no, that's definitely <laughs> true. I mean, also you were thinking about Q versus K. I, I didn't think of it in that context. I was just thinking like Q versus anyone else. I think there's only a really couple of things you cannot do in Q, you could do in K slightly shorter. So I think it's just a very kind of pragmatic trade-off, which, which I think made actually a huge impact on, on sales. Like, you know, I think if you look at like the biggest difference between 
kind of KDB and, and KDB plus, uh, kind of K3, the system built on K3 and then the system built on K4 is the addition of Q um, and kind of pushing the two languages together. In, in K3, when, when you had the database language kind of separately and it was very confusing to people. That to write, if you had to write a stored proc, then you had to drop back to K, whereas your kind of SQL-like language was kind of very restricted and you couldn't really like see or understand the difference. Whereas in Q, that's just all the same. I think it's a big simplification. So I actually didn't realize that KDB and KDB Plus were two different databases. Um, so it sounds like KDB was shipped with K and KDB Plus was shipped with K4 and Q. Is that correct? Or Yeah, so the K3, I mean, I think originally they just were trying to sell K3 as, you know, like as a platform, as a programming language. Um, with all the bells and whistles, including the, that GUI. And I think that wasn't nearly as successful than they basically, I think Arthur basically implemented KDB in K itself. Uh, mostly K3, and then they sold it as a separate product, and I think that, and that's where like finance people really started to pay attention because they had this problem of large volumes of of market data, which they couldn't really analyze with other technologies at the time. So I think what. And that's why also probably R2 went back and focused much more on database aspects with K4, because you can sell databases, you cannot sell programming languages anymore. But then once you've once you've sold a company on a database, they don't want to change it. That sort of locks you in at that point. And sort of that's is that where you where you see K4 is right now? It's it's blessing and its curse is that it's it's pragmatic and it's being used in industry and it just industry doesn't want to see very many changes. Um, I guess, unless they were significantly quicker, uh, they might, they might make adjustments in that case. Do you see anything like that coming up? I mean, I think Shakti is promising something like that, but I'm not sure if it's there yet. Um, but I think that's the idea. And otherwise I think it would be a hard sale to, any to kind of have an existing system which is working and doing what the business wants just for some marginal improvement is, is usually not 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 easy. <laughs> yeah, hopefully we'll be able to get either someone uh, someone from the Shakti team or Arthur himself to come on at some point and talk to us about Shakti uh, and get more details on that. Uh, I found an interesting read uh, from from Marshall Lockbaum who was who was here with us. Um, where he he speaks about, he is, is like an article is written. It's it's in the on his site about BQN, but he speaks about the claims about performance in K, uh, and the, well, obviously we can link to that from the show notes. Uh, but oh yeah, it sounds like Attila, it sounds like you 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 know about this page. Maybe you have something you want to say about that. No, I mean I saw it and, and I read it, and you know I'm not an implementer of K for itself or anything like that. But I think what um, maybe Marshall was talking is more about, I mean, computation 
and he was focusing very much on the computation part. And I think where KDB is really like winning the customers is kind of on, on data in databases. And I think that that part is like a lot harder to, to measure. And obviously like a, you cannot just take whatever Python and say that, oh, it can do everything KDB can because it can't. Even with you know, lots, lots of packages, it's just a lot more clunky. I think, when, well, at least that's how I understand when people talk about speed. And they also talk about maybe kind of indirectly the speed of development, not just you know, the speed of the product. Um, and I think you have to take that whole context into uh, account, not just that, yeah, you can always write some C code or C++ or Rust or whatever to beat KDB quite easily, but it's kind of the whole package of you know how fast it is to develop with how little effort and like how well chosen the primitives are. You can do something better for something specific, but it will be a lot more effort or code. I think that comes back to something we spoke about very early on in the in the podcast. I think at least it was on this podcast we did that. That well, you, as you, you said, Attila, well, you can always write some some C code or something that can that can run faster than any particular part of of an array language, um, and and of course, I mean, being that many of the array languages are implemented in C, obviously, for every such array language program, there's an equivalent C program that can run at least as fast, if nothing else, the entire same thing with with the entire interpreter, um, but. It's not feasible. I, I certainly can't do that, but for one, because I don't know C. Um, and and secondly, because as you say, it's not it's not reasonable. Yeah, you might be able to do it for one little piece, but those decades of array language implementers uh, working of, on fine-tuning algorithms that you then have available to you at the press of a couple of buttons, that is very hard to to replicate and by writing your own code. And you would have to re-implement that every time you needed it. Just something as simple as sorting, right? There's so many different sorting algorithms. For any particular type of data, you might want a different algorithm for that. Any size of data, types of data, and so on. Um, and, it's, and it's unreasonable to ask everybody to rewrite that from C up every time. But if you have a library built in, that's that where the language itself selects the probably most reasonable way to sort this data based on some preliminary analysis of your data. You don't even have to worry about it. You're getting maybe not the optimal performance, but pretty good performance um, of it. And as I, if I understand right, that's what you're saying, that it's the whole package. And uh, you can get high speed overall by, by um, leveraging all that work that has gone into the interpreter. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's why also these, how to say, these um, kind of free open source um, offshoots of K are not even close to performance of what K4 can do because you know, it took Arthur decades to get there. And I don't, you know, most of us are not Arthur. <laughs> I don't think anybody can argue with that. Um, but uh, yes, that's it. That's interesting then. So, so 
it's actually not a lot as, as far as i can tell i haven't done it myself but as far as i can tell from people around me it's not really that much work to implement an array language the what is a lot of work is to implement an array language and make it fast and that might then tie into this interesting phenomenon we're seeing where the world generally runs on free open source programming programming, programming languages and it's unusual to have a language where you would pay to use that language. It's only when there's when there's these proprietary algorithms that have been fine-tuned or a large data set that's built into the language where it would even come into the picture to, uh, to pay. And then yes, people can make a clone that is functionally the same, but not doesn't have the performance. And so that's how we can have uh, commercial implementations of uh, of APL and of K, and you can have free open source implementations that do pretty much the same or even more, but much slower. And even I think even J, even though it's free open source, the J database system is not free, right? Yeah, I was gonna say that JD, which is what Eric's developed as a database system is, you know, is adjunct to, to uh, J and you can, you can use it uh, without a commercial license, but if you were using it commercially, you need, would need to purchase it and use it that way, and then you get support and a lot of other things. But yeah, it's the the database is something that's more of a commercial end of things. The big advantage is within that database, you can use, I think this is similar to K, within that database, you're using J language. And in the case of uh, KDB, you're using K, or in KDB Plus, you're using Q as the language that you're you're controlling your database with. I hope I'm right about that. I don't think this is exclusive to the APL family. Even for things like MATLAB, there is a, a very much equivalent uh, octave. It's where the, much of the code will run identically on the two, but MATLAB being much faster than octave, and that is a paid-for product. And then, there's, of course, there's this uh, Wolfram language or Mathematica, where it's maybe not the speed you're paying for, but the massive uh, organized data that's there. So maybe, maybe there still is room in today's world for a paid-for programming language for things that are actually mission-critical when it comes to performance or availability of, of data. All right, so we're, we're just coming to the hour mark, but there one last question that's sort of been in the back of my head that a couple of times I've wanted to ask. So you said when you were uh, starting to explore uh, while doing your PhD uh, programming languages, you said the weirder, the better. Um, and then you ended up at APL and then ultimately at K. So what is it that, that I guess one, you were looking for more sort of like esoteric, although if you called, uh, depending on how many lists are listening to this you know they may take offense of uh <laughs> calling lisp esoteric uh because there there's quite a few lispers out in the world um but w what was it about the you know sort of weirder languages that attracted you to them and, and ultimately um i guess we sort of talked about k versus apl and j but not not as much just the array languages in general i think it's the terseness really like the terse i mean definitely interactivity but being able to kind of play it feels like you're playing and you're just starting with something simple and and you tweak it and then you really build your solutions very iteratively at least i do um whereas in 
especially in other compiled languages, it felt like you were like you know writing something and writing and writing. And I know that the compiler helps you in some sense, but it wasn't helping you to explore, which I think you know, which has been addressed quite a bit uh, in this context. Um, and I think also the, I mean, I. I kind of like Python, but but I still didn't like. It still felt like too big. For example, it felt like it was just kept growing and growing and growing, and it wasn't wasn't as neat or as as minimal as something like KDB. So I was I was really like I felt like I was looking for something kind of terse um, and mathematical without being a mathematician myself or just I mean no day to day probably the. The most complicated thing we do is like you know summing up numbers. I mean, it's really not complicated in the end, but just somehow the the, the pieces are all there to kind of manipulate the data in a very easy way, or at least much easier ways than with anything else. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure why I. I mean, I do remember that. And they were just doing some kind of lab, lab session, you know, I think in Pascal. I basically, and, and this was before I knew APL or anything, I, I, I took, I, I, you know, I had a solution, and then I spent another few hours in trying to make the solution as short as possible. So I kind of, I think I was predisposed because I, like, you know, I, I kind of, I found some fascination with that, and then. And then I, you know, jumped into APL and was like, oh, wow, they took this really, like, so much farther than I could, you know, <laughs> for a C, and I really enjoyed that. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, definitely the part um, where you said, you know, interactively building up an expression uh, resonates. Like, literally just one or two days ago, I was teaching someone who has, like, zero computing experience a little bit of APL. And it was, I don't know, five or ten minutes into it that I realized I hadn't taught them how to in the write editor for APL to go control shift backspace to get the previous expression. And they were typing the expression each time, building it up and then adding something. And then I was like, Oh my goodness, like the most important shortcut is, is like getting the previous expression. Cause that's the whole workflow is you, you build it up one by one. If you have to type that out each time, it, that, that takes away like 95% of the, the funness of like building up an expression. And, um, it it yeah was such an important thing that I had completely forgotten about it and was like oh no no and I guess in, in K and J it's the up arrow or whatever the the shortcut is just to get the previous line but yeah that that is um that's something that I miss very much in languages that don't have like a REPL because um, it's such a nice way to solve a problem um, to just sort of build it up slowly versus trying to write out the whole thing at once and then compile it and see if it works. Um, you are a lot more certain at the end of building up one of those expressions in a REPL that like it works because you saw it work while you were building it up. You weren't just writing semicolons and parentheses and things and compiling and then waiting and writing a test to see if it worked. So I think with that, um, we've got one end of episode announcement from Adam. Um, Thank you, Connor. Uh, yes, uh, on the 29th of August, uh, I'm running an uh, APL campfire an event that is this time going to feature Ray Polivka, who has been doing APL, I think, 
since the very beginning of APL. It's amazing that he's still with us and he has been he has been author or co-author of um, some of the most popular and successful APL teaching books over the years. Um, maybe not so relevant anymore, but I'm sure he's going to have a lot of interesting stories to tell. So we'll put a link to that in the show notes. Awesome. And we'll also leave links, um, as we always do, to uh, a ton of the K and Q resources. It definitely sounds like from talking with Attila that uh, Q is the place to start if you want to start exploring um, K4, Q. Uh, and I know they have actually some pretty decent documentation and a couple different pages, like you know the built-in functions with little examples that um, out of the box you can sort of copy and paste. Um, and and Q is downloadable. There is some free version up up to like a certain number of cores, correct? That you can download locally. I think so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we'll definitely leave links to the the free versions of those that those that want to check it out um, can go and download that. I was just going to mention that that's a that's a great cue for me to talk about the show notes and the fact that on the arraycast.com website there are show notes with each episode as well as transcripts. And I've also worked in that I've put in the, within the transcripts I put links that link back to the show notes. So if you're just reading a transcript you can click on things and get that information that way too which a lot of people seem to like. And if you want to get in touch with us it's contact at arraycast.com. And that's kind of your feedback to us, uh, talking about what you've heard, what you would like to hear, all those kind of things. We're all ears for that kind of information. Everything you send to us does get read. <laughs> all right. Awesome. And yeah, once again, thank thank you so much, Attila, for coming on. It was uh, awesome to hear a bit more about uh, K and Q. And I learned a ton. And the problem with these podcasts is every single time we have a guest on, I, I now I'm, I'm like, ah, now I got to go learn another every language on top of all the other languages I want to learn. So um, it was awesome having you on. Thanks for, thanks for coming on. Thank you very much for inviting me. Happy array programming. Happy array programming. <laughs> <laughs> we were waiting for you, Connor. You're supposed to say that. Oh yeah. Happy array programming. Whoops. <laughs> <laughs>